Luke 19.11 Now as they heard these things, He spoke another parable. Because He was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. Therefore He said, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called ten of his servants, delivered to them ten minas. Some translations say pounds, which is all of this is not much money at all. And said to them, do business till I come. Here's some of my money. I'm entrusting it to you. I want you to take this money and transact business on my behalf. Engage in business. But I'm coming back. And I want you to take care of business until I do. So I'd like to speak on this theme, taking care of business. I will be preaching, not singing. God bless you. Please be seated. I could sing. My voice is a little nasally today. I do not have COVID. Testing proved it. But I do have something going on. Smart business owners provide incentives for their employees. If employees are productive, those companies give them raises, bonuses, stock incentives, other forms of benefits. Collecting a paycheck just for putting in your time is one thing. But producing a profit for the company or corporation for which you work or which you lead is altogether another thing. Some companies these days call their employees associates or even partners. And every once in a while, some of those good companies actually treat them as associates and partners. And you might be surprised to learn that God operates His kingdom with an incentive program as well. And the Bible is very clear that we are saved by grace through faith, and that not of ourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But then Ephesians 2.10, that same passage says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath ordained that we should walk in them. We are not saved by works, but we are saved to do good works because of salvation. In the parable of the talents that Jesus told in Matthew 25, we learn that God rewards productivity, and He punishes laziness. In Luke 19, we learn a similar lesson. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 3 that every man will receive his own reward for his own labor. And that if you build something out of your life, that you will receive a reward from the Lord by building something on the foundation of Christianity. It is called the judgment seat of Christ when God will give rewards to us who have served in His kingdom based on our productivity. It will not be equal shares for everyone, 
But it will be based on what you do with what God gifted you, whether five, two, or one talent, as Jesus spoke about in Matthew 25 in the parable of the talent. But Luke 19 is a different parable. It is not the same parable as Matthew 25. Luke 19 tells us that we're trusted, that we're shareholders, that we have what we need to succeed, and that we will be called into account. This parable is the parable of the kingdom of God. And we are part of the kingdom of God in the church dispensation or the church age. In Matthew 13, Jesus told eight parables of the kingdom of God that described its nature. In the New Testament, the phrase kingdom of God appears 69 times in 68 verses of Scripture. The phrase kingdom of heaven occurs 32 times in 31 verses of Scripture in the King James Version of the Bible. The kingdom of God has a king, not a president who's elected, but a king who is a monarch. And his name is Jesus Christ. This kingdom has a government. And it is based on the Bible. And this kingdom has a mission, which is the whole gospel to the whole world by the whole church. We are called in the kingdom of God to take care of the king's business. And the Bible gives us the nature of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is like a tiny mustard seed. Starts insignificant and small and grows into the largest plant of that type. The kingdom of God is very insignificant like yeast that is put in dough, but changes it irreversibly and completely. The kingdom of God is like a little stone cut out of the mountain without hands that grows and fills the entire earth and crushes every other ungodly kingdom. This is the nature of the kingdom of God. It starts small, insignificant, apparently weak, but it conquers every foe, takes over the entire world, and the Bible calls it an everlasting kingdom. It will have no end. But as I said, in, in our day, the kingdom of God is spiritual. It is not literal are physical. It is not an established earthly government. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it was, my servants would fight. But this is a kingdom with a fight. It is a kingdom with a mission. Jesus, at the age of 12, made this statement, I must be about my father's business. As a, as a middle school age child, Becoming a teenager, Jesus had a sense of his mission that he was not here to aimlessly live or just to build furniture in his father's carpenter shop. But he had a heavenly father and he was here to be about his father's business. So I want to assure you today that we are all part of the eternal kingdom of God in this church dispensation. And every one of us, has a role to play and a job to do. We've all been blessed with the benefits of so great salvation. We can cherish the privileges of being citizens of the kingdom of heaven. 
But with the blessing of belonging to this kingdom also come the responsibilities of building this kingdom in the earth for eternity. We are called to conduct business on behalf of the king. We are here to take care of business. Now the Bible is very clear that kingdom business is bringing people out of the darkness of sin into the light of the gospel. It is transferring them from the kingdom of Satan into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. It is making a conversion, a transfer from being bound by sin to being free by the Spirit. That is the work of the kingdom of God. And he talks about this, this mission of the kingdom of God in Luke chapter 19. Now I want to draw another parallel or a comparison rather of this Matthew 25, the parable of the talents. In that parable, there are similarities and then there are differences in these two parables. They're still like a business. It is a, a businessman who empowers his employees, his servants, to conduct business on, beha- on his behalf. But in the parable of the talents, there are three men mentioned, and they are given different amounts of talents, five, two, and one. And the, the man goes away, and when he comes back, he calls them into account. We learn that God rewards productivity and He also punishes laziness and a lack of productivity. Now in Luke 19, this parable of the pounds or or minas in the New King James Version, it is a different parable. It has a similar purpose, but there are some differences here. So I want to work our way through this today because it is very important for where we are right now as a church. Luke 19.11 Now, as they heard these things, and I'll tell you what those things were later, he spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem. Remember that. He's near Jerusalem. And because they thought, they had a preconceived idea, that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. You may remember in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, the disciples of Jesus, just moments before he ascends into heaven, they ask him, will you at this time... Restore the kingdom to Israel. That meant overthrow Rome, set up a literal physical kingdom. You're the king. We're your left and right hand men. We're special. We've got power in this kingdom. But Jesus tells them that it is not for them to know the times or the seasons that the Father has put in His power. But He said, I'm giving you a little different mission than what you have in mind. You shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you're going to be witnesses of me in all of the world. It will stop, start in Jerusalem, the province of Judea, the neighboring, neighboring province of Samaria, and then unto the uttermost part of the earth. Instead of me giving you the kingdom, you're going to bring the kingdom to the world, and it's going to be a powerful kingdom. We call it the church Amen. that Jesus had upon this rock of who he was. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. While this is going on, Acts chapter 1, Jesus just slowly disappears into heaven and the angels tell those disciples who are watching Him go away that this same Jesus who was taken up from you 
shall so come again in like manner. He's here now. He's going away, but He's coming back. And when He comes back, later in the millennial kingdom, He will establish a literal, physical kingdom where Jesus Christ will rule with a rod of iron. But Jesus in His day and in our day, He said that the kingdom doesn't come by observation. It isn't a building. It isn't a place. It isn't something that you can touch. You can't say, lo, here or lo, there is the kingdom of God. But the kingdom of God, Jesus said, it is within you. It is inside of you. And I might add that it was placed in you when you received the gift of the Holy Ghost. It was Christ in you, the hope of glory, and the kingdom of God was established in your life. In the book of Luke, nine of eleven occurrences of parables, Jesus uses the phrase, a certain man. Luke 19.12 in your Bible. Therefore He said a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. Now this is fascinating. Of all my studies in the life of Christ, in this passage in the past, I learned things this week that I did not know that were intriguing to me. I learned that it was customary for a person who was going to be empowered as a ruler over a given territory to go to Rome in that day to be appointed to that particular realm. The custom of client rulers journeying to the power brokers in distant lands in order to be appointed or confirmed as king was the familiar convention in vassal states like Palestine. The members of the Herodian dynasty, if you've ever heard of Herod, and there's a whole dynasty of the, the Herodians. Herod the Great, Archelaus, Antipas, they had all gone to Rome to be sanctioned there, empowered, and then sent back to the area of Palestine where they would then rule. Jesus alludes to this custom that these earthly kings went to the seat of world power, Rome, to be confirmed as king. But Jesus would not go there. He would go to a higher throne. He would ascend into heaven. He would sit in the right hand of power. Amen. He would be given a name that is above every other name. That, that is, at His name, every knee would bow and every tongue would confess of things that are in heaven or in earth or under the earth. Amen. Every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So he gives this idea, this nobleman does, that he's going to go away and he's going to be appointed king of a kingdom and then he's going to come back. But he is thinking about his business. While he's gone, he doesn't want it to go bankrupt. He doesn't want it to die. So he has these servants, ten of them, at least probably more, it is implied. But he calls ten of them, in verse 13, he calls ten of his servants. He delivered to them ten minas or pounds and said to them, Alright guys, do business till I come. Here's money. I'm giving it to you to invest, to multiply, and when I come back, we'll talk about it. We'll get into that as the story unfolds. 
They're all given. Ten men, one pound each. Remember, I told you this is different than the parable of the talent, where one man gets five, one two, and another man one. He's got ten talents, ten units of money, and he gives each one of them only one pound of money. It's maybe a sixtieth of what a talent would be in pure weight of silver, depending on the monetary system. And I read quite a bit about it. Barnes notes, which was written a long time ago, said it might have been as little as $15. But nonetheless, it was, it was just an amount of money to invest. Okay? That's amazing. Now, they've all got the same thing. You get one, I get one. So this is a little different parable than the parable of the talent. They all get the same amount. Now, when God gave gifts to men, Ephesians 4 talks about this, He did not give all of us the same gifting. Some have more, some have less. He gives the gifts of the Spirit and ministry gifts according to our several ability, the Bible says, severally as He will. Some people are more talented, some are less. Everybody has something. Everybody is expected to do something with the gifts you have. But this parable is about a different gifting. It is not about ministry gifts to sing or play or preach or teach or lead or give. It is about the gift of the Holy Ghost. It is about the gift of salvation. It is about the Great Commission to take what you have and do something with it. And everybody has the same amount. Amen. I don't have a better Holy Ghost than you have. Somebody says, well, that person, when they received the Holy Ghost, they danced. They were slain in the Spirit. They couldn't quit speaking in tongues. Well, I think that's wonderful. But God doesn't have an inferior version of the Holy Ghost. When you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, He gave you a pound of silver. He gave you something. He gave you power. Amen. He invested His Spirit inside of you. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amen. He gave us that Spirit. He gave us all the same thing. And then He said, take care of business till I come back. Trade with this gift. Invest this money. When I come back, we're going to talk about what you did with what you had. Amen. I was studying this and, and I had a song that I never liked come to my mind. Some of you like it. I'm sorry. It's an old southern gospel song. I'm saying it for one line. I came on business for the king. He told me to pray and he told me to sing this line. I just can't stand here and do my own thing. Or if you sing it right, I can't just stand here and do my own thing. I came on business for the king. You may think that you can just stand here and do your own thing. But the king gave you a gift. And he said, take care of business until I come back. I've got something for you to do. This kingdom has a king, it has a government, and it has a mission. Amen. So, verse 13 again, he called the ten of his servants, delivered to them ten minas, and said to them, do business till I come. Now, in this passage, there's a side note. 
verse 14, about some other people, another group of people. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, we will not have this man, man to rule over us. Uh, it is the idea that they didn't like this king who was going to be appointed, so they're going to send a delegation to Rome, and they're going to fight it. They're going to get a petition so he's not going to be their king. Now, this in, in reality was the, the Jewish nation, the Jewish leaders who did not want Jesus Christ, who rejected him and were responsible for his crucifixion. But that's not us. That's another group of people that he will deal with later in this parable. Time goes by. We don't know how long. He comes back, verse 15. So it was that when he returned, having received the kingdom, now he's got power, right? He commanded these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know how much every man had gained in trading. He cares about the amount. He wants to know what they did with that one pound or mina, probably of silver. Now, there were ten men given money. We're only going to hear about three of them because they are examples of what people did. The first guy comes back and he tells the master, you gave me one pound, one mina. I went and traded it. I found some really good investments. And I have flipped that over and over and I have made ten times the amount you gave me. I now have ten minas to give you back. And the master said to him, well done, good servant, because you were faithful in a very little, have authority over ten cities. I'm going to make you mayor, whatever, over ten cities because of what you did. That's pretty impressive. The second man comes and he said, Master, Yamina has earned five more. And the master said, likewise to him, you also be over five cities. You made five times the amount of money that I gave you. I'm going to make you mayor of five cities because of that. Pretty impressive. Now, this is an amazing thing. That when you do God's work, God works with you. The Bible says that they went everywhere preaching the word, the Lord working with them. Confirming the word with signs following. I'm out of the parable and into the practice for a moment. When you take the gift of the Holy Ghost, when you take the gospel of Jesus Christ and you share it with someone, God shares it with you. He confirms your word with signs following. He works with you. We are laborers together with God. He gave us the power to succeed. Ten minas gained, ten cities. Five minas gained, five cities. What a generous God. Yes. Yes, Amen. And what valuable goods He's given to us. It really worked for these two men. Amen. Then there's this third guy. 
The third man comes to his master and he says, Here, master, is the minute that you gave me. Exactly what you gave me, I'm giving back. He said, I've, I've laid it up. I've kept it in a handkerchief. Wrapped it all up. Nobody stole it. Nobody took it away. You should be so proud of me because I didn't lose it. I didn't use it, but I didn't lose it. And then he tells this nobleman why. For I feared you. Well, that's a good way to look at God. Scared of failing so you do nothing? I feared you because you're an austere man. He's a rich nobleman. You collect what you did not deposit and you reap what you did not sow. Well, of course. He gave you money. It was your job to go multiply it so there would be increase. It was your job to sow it so he could come back and reap it. It was never yours. You were a steward of that resource, but you had an expectation placed on you to multiply. But the nobleman says to this man, out of your own mouth I will judge you. You wicked servant. Wow, that's, that's pretty bad, right? You wicked servant. You knew that I was an austere man, collecting what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then? If you were timid, if you didn't have a lot of confidence in your investing ability, if you didn't have a lot of business acumen, there was something you could have done instead of nothing. Why did you not put my money in the bank? I know there's not a lot of interest to be gained there right now. Interest rates are rising. But you're not going to get much money on a CD, nothing on your savings account. But this master, while he seems austere and harsh, he's actually really merciful. He doesn't compare him with the guy that made ten times or five times. He said, all I was looking for you to do is take what I gave you and do something with it. Just put it in the bank. At least when I came back, it would have made a little interest. Maybe I would have made you mayor over a subdivision or a slum or something. But you've done nothing with what I gave you. You're going to be held accountable. And I want to say to all of us today that the point of this parable similar to the point of Matthew 25, is that God loves us, believes in us, invested in us, is going to hold us accountable, and any one of us that think that our job in this life is to barely be saved by the skin of our teeth misunderstands the power and the investment that God has made in us. He gave us power that we could do something with what He has given us. Put it to work. Tell your story. Pray for the sick. Do something with what God has given you. Maybe you don't multiply it ten times. 
maybe not five times, but nothing is unacceptable to God. Every one of us has been given an equal opportunity. The same gospel. The same Holy Ghost. To do something with God's investment in us. And what we cannot do is just barely be saved and be content to save ourselves when God has called us to go find someone else like us who is lost and bring them into the kingdom of God. We cannot bury our talent. We cannot bury the opportunities that God has given us. I want to read it now in Luke 19.23. Why then did you not put my money in the bank that at my coming I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, now look at this, take the mina, or the mina from him, and give it to him who has ten mina. What? That's what he said. This guy's got one wrapped in a napkin. He can keep his napkin. The Bible does not say that. <clears throat> Take it. You see the guy that did the most? I want you to give it to him. But look at verse 25. This is incredible. But they said to him, now who is they? Maybe the other seven guys. Maybe the people standing by. But they said to him, Master, Master, he has ten. The Master says, Now this is Jesus applying the parable. For I say to you, that to everyone who has, who has what? Who has been productive, alright, read the context, will be given. And from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. This guy's now dead broke. You can argue that salvation has been taken from him. These other people standing by, they're crying foul. Wait a minute. They're saying, this guy was on the payroll. He's got his right. This is not fair. This is not equitable. Are you rewarding that successful guy based on merit? Sounds like it to me. Wait, 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 wait another minute. You're rewarding a guy that's already rich. He doesn't need the money. He's already got ten. And now he's got eleven. And this guy over here has zero. What kind of an economy is that? What kind of businessman is God? But before you lose control, this master was more than fair. Everybody had the same amount of money at the beginning. Amen. And the most productive guy was rewarded the most. The second most productive guy was rewarded also. The third guy, if he would have just put the money in the bank, would have been rewarded at some level. Maybe not ten cities. Maybe not five. Maybe just a subdivision. But here's the saying. You either use it or lose it. God gave you the Holy Ghost to be put to work, to plow into this world, to invest what God has given you and to bring back a profit. Profit. That's what he's about. This, whether this is your philosophy 
of the kingdom or not, Jesus told these parables to teach us how the kingdom of heaven operates. Amen. And it operates by God is gracious and gives gifts that we do not deserve. The gifts of salvation and ministry gifts to be deployed for His glory, for our good, and for the building up of the body of Christ. God expects us to do something. And He will call us into account for what we've done with what we've been given. In this parable, as I've already said, this is not about using your talent. Sing, play, speak, administrate, give, help, show mercy, all of those ministry gifts that God uses us in. This parable is not about your unique giftings and abilities. It is about our common opportunities. All ten of us, all hundred of us, all thousand of us, every person who has ever received the gift of salvation has been given this one thing. It is the power of Jesus Christ living in us. And it changed us and it will change other people if we invest it in them, if we give it to them, if we share it with them. Amen. Every text of Scripture in the Bible has a context. It has a a setting. There's a story around it. Now, maybe in Proverbs, not so much. But in Luke chapter 19, if you read the story that precedes this parable, you will find that it is about a man who is a sinner. He is a tax collector. Everybody believes he's ripped others off, and probably he has. But he hears about Jesus, and he goes to see Him. But there's a problem. There's a crowd. There's another problem. He's really short. So he climbs a tree to see Jesus. And Jesus sees him in the tree. And he says, Zacchaeus, I want you to come down. There's a crowd here, but you're a lost man. And I want to come to your house today. And he goes to the house of Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus repents. And he has an opportunity to be saved. And at the conclusion of the story of Zacchaeus, Jesus says this about his purpose in Luke 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And then he launches into a parable about a king coming and going and giving and calling into account. This parable is about the mission of the church, the mission of Jesus Christ, to seek and to save that which was lost. Every drug addict, every broken home, every abused child, every lost person, every upstanding citizen that is lost outside the kingdom of God, that is why Jesus came, and that is why He gifted us with something to change the world. And we will be called into account for what we do with what we've been given. And then I told you about that group of people who didn't want Him to be king. I include it because it's part of the story. 
These are not the productive or even the unproductive people. These are the people that said no to Jesus. Luke 19.27 This nobleman says, But bring here those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them and slay them before me. These are the words of Jesus Christ. Speaking of judgment to people who reject Him as Savior and Lord. But I want you to see this context. That this parable follows the story of Zacchaeus. But it also precedes something that is notable. Because the Bible said in verse 28, that when he had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. This is the final week in the life of Jesus Christ. He will go and present Himself as King to the people of Israel. They will reject Him. They will shout, crucify Him. He will die for their sins. Even though they said, let His blood be upon us and upon our children, He will die for their sins. He will be buried in a tomb Raised the third day, He will ascend into heaven, send back His Spirit, and the church will begin. This parable follows this verse. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So saving lost people is why Jesus came. And He's employed us. I know He didn't hire you, but He saved you. We're His servants. And He gave us the gift of salvation. And He told us plainly, not in the parable, to go and teach all nations. To go into all the world and preach the Gospel to every creature. He told us that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in, in His name among all nations. He told them that He was sending them out in the book of John. He told them in Acts that He was giving them power to be His witnesses all over the world. The point of this parable is that Jesus Christ has commissioned us to conduct business on His behalf. I read my text again, Luke 19, 13. So He called ten of His servants, delivered to them ten minas, and said to them, do business till I come as a church. Bringing lost people into the kingdom of God is our business. And we have no other business. And we have no other reason to exist as a church than bringing people into the kingdom of God, so they can go to heaven and will not go to hell. That's why I'm preaching this message today. And if you're on your way to hell, you can change that destination today. If you will ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins, if you will take His name in water baptism, if you will receive the gift of the Spirit, you can be born into this kingdom. This business I'm talking about is not just a business of preachers. 
not just the business of people who have the alleged gift of evangelism. This business is the coin of the kingdom of God. The gospel of Jesus Christ. We've been entrusted and empowered to make a difference in our world. And we will be called into account that Jesus Christ gave us everything we need to be successful. He said, I give you power to tread on scorpions and serpents. He said, I want you to go and I want you to preach the kingdom of heaven. Heal the sick. Cleanse the lepers. Raise the dead. Cast out devils. Freely you've received. Freely give. That is the business of the church. And you and I have been called to take care of this business.